Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. We have a student in our uh, karate dojo, and um, she is an adult woman with children, and I don't know if she has grandchildren or not, but when she started training with us, she had been in such an abusive relationship, physically abusive relationship, that when she came to start training with us, I had to stand at a minimum three feet away from her for her to learn karate from us. Because if I came within three feet of her, because I'm a man, she would flinch. That, that was really hard. And uh, she has stuck with her training. And now she doesn't have any problem punching me and throwing me to the ground. <laughs> she has recently uh, earned her blue belt with a green stripe, which means she's halfway in our dojo to receiving her black belt. And uh, her confidence level has grown and her ability to interact has grown. And and in our dojo, we teach Christian leadership using martial arts. And she's learning about Jesus and deepening her faith while she learns to beat me up. And we're really proud of her. Today, we're going to talk about what does the Bible say about divorce when you're in an abusive relationship? Uh, That's a hard topic, and I I don't think the Bible is as clear as we'd like it to be on this subject, but I do think the Bible speaks into this situation. And anytime we have something that's difficult to talk about, and anytime we have something that's difficult to explain, you know where we go, right? We go to God in prayer. So if you'd pray for me while I pray for us, uh, that the Scripture would reveal reveal what God wants us to hear, uh, I would really appreciate your prayers. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that the Bible speaks into every situation that we can encounter. And I thank you for this question that somebody has asked and asked us to discuss in, in this sermon series. Lord, I ask now, and I plead with you, would you please send us more of your Holy Spirit so that our eyes would be open to the Scripture and our minds would be open to understanding and our hearts would be open to to change. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here is the passage we're going to start with today. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verses uh, 1, uh, excuse me, verses 3 through 12. Matthew 19, 3 through 12. Now this is a passage that begins talking about marriage and divorce. And um, Jacob asked me before we started, he said, do we need to give a trigger warning for this uh, topic today? Well, maybe there are, uh, you know, there's, a, there's enough adults here. I, I was just semi-joking that there were more kids than adults, but there's enough adults here that somebody might have encountered physical abuse before. Uh, so maybe, but we are going to talk about marriage, divorce, and, and abuse, what the Bible says. This is what Matthew 19 says. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, him, came to him to test him. They ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? 
Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to them, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. And Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live life like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Point number one here, I I think we need to use biblical wisdom when the Bible seems to be unclear. When I was growing up, I was taught there were only two legitimate reasons, two justifiable reasons to have a divorce. One would be in sexual unfaithfulness, sexual immorality, like Jesus just spoken there. Another is mentioned by Paul who says if if you're married to an unbeliever and that unbelieving spouse leaves you, then you are free to have a divorce. Now, I was taught that. I was taught what I would call a restrictive view on divorce. And and I was taught that because God says marriage is so holy and so important. And and marriage should be protected from divorce. But it, it is unclear here because Jesus says these words. He says, He says in in Matthew here that we just read in verse 9, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality. And when I was growing up, I was taught, see, Jesus is only giving one exception on how you are allowed to have divorce. Well, I was also taught the Bible does not contradict itself. And I believe the Bible is inerrant and true and speaks to every situation So if Jesus says there's only one exception and then we turn a couple of pages and Paul gives another exception, then either there's a contradiction in the scripture because Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7, Paul is inspired by the same Holy Spirit to write these words that inspired Jesus to say, except for sexual immorality. Uh, Turn a couple pages and then Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, 15, If the unbeliever leaves, and he's talking about divorce there, the brother or sister is not bound in such such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Not bound there means you're free. You're free from that marriage. You're not enslaved to that marriage anymore. And when in Roman law, if a spouse leaves, that was divorce. And Paul was speaking to Romans. And so if... If Jesus says there's only one exception, and then we turn the page, there's another exception. Either the Bible contradicts itself, or I'm not quite understanding what's going on in the passage. And anytime I run into a contradiction or a, seeming, a seemingly contradiction in Scripture, I find that if I beat my head against the Scripture long enough, the Scripture wins. One scholar says, if you only read Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, and you only read that one verse and you don't read it in any context, any context of the scripture or any context of history, it looks like Jesus is saying there's only one exception for divorce. 
So, does Jesus contradict Scripture, or are we re- not reading Matthew 19 in context? There was a rabbi debate going on in Jesus' day. And the debate went like this. There was one rabbi who said, you can get divorced for any and every reason. And there was another rabbi who said, no, that is way too, way too loose. You can only get divorced for sexual immorality. They were debating Deuteronomy chapter uh, 24, verse 1. If a man marries a woman, this is a, from the law of Moses, and this is what the rabbis were debating. If a man marries a woman who, who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her away from his house, and it goes on with some more rules. And so there's this, this law that says you can divorce if you find indecency in your wife, and you back up, she displeases you in some way. And what the rabbis and what the culture of Jesus' day, they were arguing and debating about, what does that word indecency mean? And so the Pharisees came and asked him, Matthew 19, 3, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? They are living in this debate. Can you divorce her for any and every reason or only sexual immorality? There's two contemporaries of Jesus uh, that are going on here. One is Rabbi Hillel, and uh, Rabbi Hillel uh, died around 10 AD. So his school, his house of Hillel, any disciple that followed Hillel was learning from Rabbi Hillel, and Rabbi Hillel was one of the key leaders in Jerusalem and in that whole area. So uh, the rabbis listened to him, and the Jewish people listened to him. And Rabbi Hillel was a pretty cool guy. So he, uh, tradition says he's, he dies at 120 years old, about the time Jesus is a teenager or somewhere around there. And, um, and Hillel promoted peace and love and even how to take care of yourself, uh, uh, self-health. Um, uh, and uh, he, he would say uh, strange things to their ears, who would say something like, whoever wants to make a name for themselves must lose their name. And then he talked about the value of community. Hillel said, hey, you don't leave the community. Stay involved in your community. Keep helping each other out. And then this is, uh, I, I, I suppose the story is true. There was a Gentile that came and said, I want to convert to Judaism. Uh, can you teach me the whole Torah standing on one foot? And there's a story that Hillel stands on one foot and he says this. It's kind of like a, re, a negative golden rule. Whatever is hateful to you, do not do to other people. This is the whole Torah and the rest just explains how to live like this. Go and learn. He puts his foot down. I wonder if Jesus was heavily influenced by the teaching of Hillel. Because Jesus would say stuff like that. If you want to have life, you're going to have to lose your life. And all the law and the prophets hang on this one command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, you can teach that standing on one foot. But Hillel taught that that word indecency in Deuteronomy 24 meant for any and every reason, including... As if your wife burned your dinner. Write her certificate of divorce, get rid of her. I have a picture of a burned dinner. I don't know why people are laughing. Uh, my wife, she loves to have burnt offerings for the Lord. No, that's not true. That's just a bad, that's just a bad husband joke. Hillel taught. So here, here he is, a very influential teacher. And he is teaching everybody. And he is, he is one of the top teachers. Like there, there were... He had a role that I won't get into in the weeds. 
But like everybody in that community was probably learning from Hillel and loved him. And they liked this idea of no-fault divorce for any reason. And then uh, Hillel dies around 10 AD, and Rabbi Shammai takes over for him. And Rabbi Shammai is a strict Torah teacher. When he takes over for Hillel and gets that same position, and Rabbi Shammai, he died around 30 AD, about the time Jesus began his ministry. But Rabbi begins teaching the, uh, the Jewish people his version of interpretation of Torah around 11 AD. He's taken over. And uh, he is a real strict interpreter. He, and he, he wants to keep Jews and Gentiles separate. That story about the Gentile that came to Hillel and said, can you teach me the Torah standing on one foot? That Gentile had asked Shammai about that. And Shammai said, get out of my face. Get away from me. I'm not going to convert you to Judaism. He said, you know, Jews are clean. Gentiles are unclean. He want, and he wanted a real strict interpretation of law. And he came along and he, he introduced, as soon as he was made the, like the president of the organization, uh, the president of the Torah club, he said, here are 18 ordinances. We're going to start practicing right now. And some of them went against Hillel's teaching. And uh, there's somebody quoted from that time period. And they said, boy, when Shammai put those 18 ordinances in, it was worse than when we started worshiping the golden calf. I mean, that's, that's a really big deal. And Shammai taught that Deuteronomy 24, if you find indecency in her, he taught that word indecency meant only sexual immorality, not for any reason. So here Jesus is, I think he was heavily influenced by the teaching of Hillel as he was growing up, and here is the whole community learning Hillel, and then Shammai, the the person they didn't really like so much, Jesus sides with Shammai on this part. And so when they come to him and they say, can a man get divorced for any and every reason, They're, they have this contemporary question going on because Hillel had taught for years that it's for any and every reason, and Shammai has come along and says, it's only for sexual immorality, and Jesus answers, it's only for sexual immorality. Don't misinterpret Deuteronomy 24. And you can see this when we re- if, uh, if we were to read the passage again. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus, he takes them back to creation. He says, you know, God set up marriage from creation. This is the way it should be. If you're going to get married, you're supposed to stay married. He says, you become one flesh. This is so important. You know, this is so important. Do not separate this. Well, this was a shock to their system. Because they loved no-fault divorce. And there were already exceptions in this, in this area. It was expected if you married your wife and you didn't have kids within 10 years, you were supposed to divorce her to find somebody to marry that could have kids with you. It was expected to get a divorce. They weren't asking, is there only one exception? They were asking about this argument. And they said, well, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus says, Moses gave you a certificate because your, you, your hearts are hard. And he's pointing at the Pharisees. You, you wonder why the Pharisees didn't like him. The reason divorce happens is because we live in a sinful, broken world. This is not the way God designed it. This is not the way God wants it. But there are some, there are some times... When our sin is so pervasive and we are unrepentant so much that we will do opposite of what God says in rebellion, knowing we're wrong and pursue something he doesn't want us to do. Jesus says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. 
A hard heart can happen to anyone. If we hear from God and he tells us to do something, if we read in Scripture and it says, do this, and it's really clear, like most of the Scripture is really clear, and we ignore it, the Scripture says our hearts become callous, hard. Our consciences become seared, whereas we will stop listening to God and go down a path of destruction. We will go down our own path of destruction because we stop listening to God. And there comes a time in your life when you're on that path and you continually rebel against God, continually push against God, continually say, I'm not going to listen to God. I'm not going to listen to Scripture. I'm not going to listen to Jesus. I'm not going to listen to the church around me, these smart people who care about me. God says, okay, I'll let you go down that path of destruction. Go ahead. God is a gentleman. He will not force you to love him. And he will not force you to obey him. And so Jesus answers this question. He was not teaching that there are never any other circumstances for divorce, just that marriage is so important and so holy, it should not be getting rid of for any whim. We need to value marriage more importantly, is what Jesus is saying. And I think when we read that passage in context of what was going on in their community, it keeps us from saying, oh, the scripture must contradict itself. Because Jesus says, don't get divorced except for one reason. And then you turn a couple pages, here's another reason you get divorced. Everybody following along? The disciples were shocked at this. Chapter 19, verse 10, they said, oh, if this is the situation between husband and wife, it's better not to marry. You know, I think what the disciples are saying here is, well, I, I like it better when Hillel teaches it because what if I'm unhappy in a relationship? Then I can just get out of it. Or what if my wife does burn my food? I can just get out of it. And you know, there were some that were teaching, even if your wife becomes unattractive to you, just get out of it. And Jesus says to them, because they said, you know, if this is the situation, no, we want the no-fault divorce. If, there's, if that goes away, it might be better not to marry. And Jesus says, you don't have to get married. That's okay to li- it's an okay way to live, to not get married. Which also countered what they were taught in that day. One of the things that they were taught is a good Jewish boy is he's going to get married, he's going to have lots of kids. And, and there was a stigma that if you didn't get married, there was something maybe wrong with you. Or if you didn't have kids, there was something maybe wrong with you. And that stigma is not what God established in the scripture. And so Jesus says, it's, it's okay not to be married. He says, you know, some, some people can handle that. And some people are, are made that way. Some people choose to be that way. And, and if you can choose to remain single and honor God with your life and not be distracted by anything else, that, that is a good way to live. And that was the response. You know, Paul gives us the, another circumstance where divorce can occur in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. I read it just a minute ago. Let me read it one more time. If the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. And what he was talking about in that situation in, in the church at Corinth, uh, these, these people had come to faith in Christ. And when they came to faith in Christ, sometimes their spouse did not come to faith in Christ with them. You know, Paul and Apollos, and, uh, they had just introduced Jesus to this community. 
And you had Gentile believers and Jewish believers, and, and some people came to faith and, and their family didn't. And that caused pretty severe conflict, you can imagine. I mean, it goes on today when you have an unbelieving spouse that wants to go to church and wants to take the kids to church, but you have, uh, you have a believing spouse and then an unbelieving spouse, and, no, don't go, I want to stay home, you should stay home too. How can you give your money to that church? You know, that, that kind of thing still goes on. And Paul says, if you have an unbelieving spouse and, they, and they, they'll stay married to you, stay married. If you have an unbelieving spouse that leaves, try to reconcile, try to make that marriage work. But if they leave, if, if that's the divorce, then you are no longer enslaved to that marriage. You're set free. You can go marry someone else. Now, here is an interesting phrase. Uh, this is going to help us understand as we get into the, the topic of what to do when you're in an abusive situation in divorce. Paul says, in such circumstances, and that is an umbrella Greek phrase that covers circumstances just mentioned and circumstances not mentioned. There's a a Greek scholar named Wayne Wayne Gruden, and he took that phrase, in such circumstances, that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and he compared it to every text he could get from that era. And he said, that phrase in Greek means... The circumstances just mentioned in the sentence, the unbeliever leaves, and circumstances like it. What, I think what Paul is teaching here is that there are some circumstances we need to use biblical wisdom on to know what we're going to do when it comes to staying married or getting divorced. I'll give you an example that's kind of hard to wrap our mind around. When does abuse start, for example? And what would you do in this situation? So this, I, I found this from a case study. There was a man who worked nights and he would come home and sleep during the day. But on his off days, he would stay up all night so it wouldn't mess up his sleep pattern. And he would sit in his bed and read while his wife tried to go to sleep. And he would poke her every couple of minutes because he didn't want her to be sleeping while he was home. And so he's just touching her. I mean, is that physical abuse? Maybe, maybe. And he was keeping her up. Eventually, that would become like torture. Sleep deprivation is a type of torture. And so you can see where this is, these, these kind of situations, the Bible doesn't mention every type of situation. It doesn't, Mike Spencer, a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about abortion, he said, you know, the Bible doesn't use the word abortion, but it does talk about do not murder. And so he said, you don't have to have a bunch of situations of what murder is to know that you should not murder. It's an umbrella term. It covers over a whole bunch. He said, you shouldn't murder anybody in your garage with your car, but the Bible doesn't mention that. But we know we're not supposed to murder. I think, you know, the scripture, it doesn't speak specifically about abuse in a relationship, but I don't think the Bible is silent on this. Hebrews chapter four says this, the word of God is alive and active. That means I think it can speak into whatever situation you are in right now. It can speak into whatever type of situation, whatever type of decision you have to make because it's alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and merit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
2 Timothy chapter 3 says it this way, all scripture is inspired by God. God breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, it would be good to be taught about what to do in, if you're in, married in an abusive situation. So where does God teach us to think biblically and with wisdom when it comes to divorce and abuse? And I think this is where we need to use biblical wisdom, number two, when the Bible seems to be silent. And there seems to be some cases of extreme, radical, life-threatening situations. Uh, i got to be careful here. Where the, where the rules of the scripture, the law, seems to be bent or broken. And Jesus is okay with it. Let me repeat that. And please, uh, write it down. It's being recorded. Your preacher is saying that sometimes the laws are allowed to be bent and broken. In the scripture, it seems like when there is a radical case of a life-threatening situation, the laws are allowed to be bent and broken. That is a shock to my system. That is not how I was trained and grew up. I grew up that here's the law, Here's right and wrong. It's black and white. Let me give you what Jesus says are examples. In Matthew 12, Jesus and his disciples were walking through a grain field, and the disciples reach down, and they pluck a head of grain, and they start eating it. Now, I have never been hungry enough to pluck a head of grain and eat it as a part of my meal, but the disciples must have been hungry there. Although sometimes when I drive by fields of corn, that sure is tempting to stop and... Here's what happens. Disciples are walking along. Uh, Matthew chapter 12 says it this way. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Anybody know about the rules of the Sabbath? On the Sabbath day, you're not allowed to work. Now, this is uh, also a hotly debated topic among the Jews of Jesus' day. They debated, what does work really mean? How much effort and, and are you allowed to put out? And so they developed a whole bunch of rules to protect do not work on that day. In, in Exodus chapter 35, this is why it's so important. The law says, if you work on the Sabbath, you're supposed to be put to death. So wouldn't you like to know what is considered work on the Sabbath? Because if they catch you working, the community is going to put you to death. And so then the very next verse, it says, here's what work would look like. If you kindle a fire in your hearth, that is too much work. That's in Exodus 35. So there's not a lot of leeway here for work. And so the, the rabbi said, hey, we don't want to break this law. We don't want anybody put to death. So uh, we're going to establish some rules to protect the law. One of the rules is, uh, you know, they, they said stuff like, if something is bigger than a cantaloupe, you can't carry it. And so they figured out a way to get around the rule that was protect the rule. They would put it on the ground and they'd kick it with their feet over to where they were going. They couldn't walk more than so many yards from their house door because that would be too much effort on the Sabbath, and that would be considered work. And so when the Pharisees see the disciples picking heads of grain, they said, 
that is threshing wheat and that is work. Look, they're being unlawful. Now, Jesus says this. He said, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Now, when, when what Jesus was talking about here is a radical, life-threatening situation. David is on the run from Saul. Saul is going to kill David. David has been anointed king. He's on the run from Saul. He's without food, and he goes to the temple. This, one of the, one of the, he goes to the temple. He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for priests. That, that story is in 1 Samuel uh, so um, just a little background. The priest had a job to do. One of the jobs was to keep the, the candle in the holy place lit 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It was a candelabra, a menorah. Another one of their jobs was they had to make 12 loaves of bread and, and make sure they had two rows, six bread. Then the bread was always in the presence of the light and of the curtain where God was. The bread is always in the presence of God. Jesus comes along and says, I am the bread of life. He's always in the presence of God. There's great symbolism here. But that bread, those 12 loaves, is, a, is dedicated to God, and only the priests are allowed to eat them. They set out for a week, and at the end of the week, the priests are supposed to eat it. I think that's their first communion bread. I would think that those little communion packets that we have has, has weak, old, yucky bread in the top of it. Anyway, they eat that bread, and they make new loaves and set it out, and they do this every week. But no one else is allowed to eat the bread except priests. And Jesus says, in this life situ- life-threatening situation, David and his companions, the priests let them eat that bread. Uh, scratching your head. That's an unlawful thing, and Jesus, Jesus is promoting it. And then he says this, Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, yet are innocent? Because remember, the, the priest's job is to set the bread out, make the bread, keep the lamp going the whole time, keep the altar of, of uh, prayer going all the time. That even has to happen on Sabbath day. And you know, to keep the altar and the lamp going, you have to kindle a fire. And Jesus says, it appears like they're breaking the law, but they're not. They're not. God doesn't hold them guilty for that. He said, I'll tell you something greater than the temple is here. He's talking about himself. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. You know, if we're going to apply that to uh, our lives today, There have been times in church's history where a woman and her kids are being radically physically abused and their life is in danger and they've come to the church for help. This this has happened in church history. And because of that interpretation, you can only get divorced except for sexual immorality. They will tell the woman, you need to stay with your husband and don't divorce her. And I think Jesus would say, if you knew what this word means, you would desire mercy, not sacrifice. If you are in a abusive situation where your life is in danger, I, I'm, I'm telling you, you need to get out of that house and move to safety as quickly as possible. And you need to protect your kids as quickly as possible. And then you can find someone to help you reconcile and help you get back together and help. But if, if, if that husband is not repentant and doesn't change, then I think this is one of those situations 
where when life is in danger, the rule about keeping the marriage holy, doing everything possible to keep it, it, Jesus would say, you need to have mercy there. And I don't want anybody to take what I'm saying and then use it to pursue a divorce that's not really legitimate. And I don't want to leave anybody in an abusive situation. Jesus continues, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls on a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and he was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Uh, Jesus is saying, you know, when life is in danger, do what is good. I think we can apply that to an abu- a physical, physically abusive situation where someone's life is in danger. Do good in that situation. I think this is one of those other such circumstances. Here's the danger. We had a person in our church who put it in their mind to get a divorce. They started having an emotional affair with someone else. And they said to themselves, and they would never admit this, and this is my interpretation of what I saw going on. They said, I am going to get divorced no matter what. And they looked for every, any and every reason to accuse their spouse of abuse. And let me tell you, the, the, the definition for domestic abuse is really wide. And so technically, any argument that you have with your spouse can fit under the umbrella of domestic abuse. But that is not abuse. That's not the abuse I'm talking about. Any mean thing that your spouse says to you, any slight, including burning your food, could probably fit under the umbrella of domestic abuse. And this person in our, from our church, they began to say that their spouse was abusing them. And they found a counselor that would say, oh, yeah, that's abuse. And they pursued a divorce. That's not what I'm talking about. And I don't want anybody to take it out of context and use it to pursue a selfish, ungodly path. But I do want to protect to the best of my abilities. We need to teach it. You know, we need to teach uh, about alcohol. Drinking alcohol is not a sin. In fact, the scripture seems to indicate that having a drink can be a blessing. And then it goes into way overdrive to say, you know what, don't ever get drunk. There's a real danger here. You might lead somebody astray. You have to be extra, extra careful. You know, the the Bible speaks on this. But I was taught growing up, if a drop of alcohol passes my lips, it's a sin and I'm going to go to hell. Well, my family was protecting me from a, a dangerous path, but it wasn't biblical. And I think growing up when I was taught, there's only two legitimate reasons to get a divorce. I think they were protecting me from a divorce. My wife and I, when we got married, we were both trained that way. We said we would never divorce each other. We might murder one another, but we'll never divorce each other. We've come close. But I think I was taught that to protect myself from a dangerous path. But I don't think it was biblical. I think there are some circumstances we need to use wisdom, and maybe the Bible seems silent, but when that, 
when it seems silent, I, I believe it speaks into every situation. I think if we can use wisdom and apply what Scripture teaches, we can learn what to do in every, any and every situation. It appears to me that Jesus is teaching in Matthew 12 that if life-threatening situations are going on, sometimes the rules need to be bent or broken. He said David did something that was unlawful. His life was in danger. He said you'd pick up a sheep out of a pit, but that's breaking the working law of the Sabbath, but you would do it to save a life. And people are so much more valuable than animals. Number three, this is the last one. We need to use biblical wisdom when the Bible is perfectly clear. And this goes for every relationship, but it also goes for relationships that are in trouble in marriage. And it also goes, it also speaks, it does speak into if you are being abused. Now, uh, let me remind you again, if your life is in danger, you need to separate and you need to get to safety. If your kids' lives are in danger, you need to separate and you need to get to get safety. And, and there are resources, you're not alone. You don't have to do this alone. There are resources that even the church can provide to help you get to safety. But here is what the Bible is really clear on. Ephesians chapter four says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. It's really clear. In every relationship we're in, we're supposed to seek that loving peace of forgiveness to the best of our ability. As far as it depends on us, we are supposed to move toward peace. And so that means we need to try with our best efforts, legitimate efforts to have forgiveness because of what Christ has done for us. Christ has forgiven us. There is no sin so great that it cannot be forgiven from Christ. And Christ holds this forgiveness out and open and available to anyone. And then he conditions it on you admitting your sin, confessing your sin, and repenting, turning from that dangerous, destructive, sinful path and turning to the path that Jesus says is love and peace and goodness and obedience And the condition of forgiveness that Christ gives us, forgive as Christ forgave you, the condition of forgiveness is true repentance, true change of heart to begin following him. I think we can apply that in radically dangerous, life-threatening situations in marriage. You You should seek forgiveness and reconciliation, but there has to be a change from your spouse, a real change where they repent and they don't kill you. And they don't kill your kids before you move back into that intimate relationship. Forgive as Christ forgave you. I even think you can forgive somebody like not wanting any will, ill will done to them, but not trust them. If we had a, and we, we, welcome, all, we welcome all people, if we had a bank robber come in, we would welcome him. And if he was repentant, we would forgive him. We'd say, you know, God is just, he'll forgive you. And we'll, we won't put him in charge of counting the offering. Okay? We just won't, there's a trust level there that is broken and may never gain back, but we'd have complete forgiveness. We don't want any ill will done to him. And we know God is gonna forgive him, covers over all sin. I think that, that goes for our relationships too. And if somebody lies to you all the time, You can forgive them 70 times seven, but that doesn't mean you believe the words coming out of their mouth. Ultimately, 
The goal is full reconciliation and restoration. But Jesus says there's a condition for that, and that is repentance. I don't know anybody in here who has obeyed this clear teaching perfectly. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I don't know that there's anybody in this room who has obeyed this perfectly in every relationship. In fact, I bet there are some relationships you can think of in your mind right now that you are still bitter about and you still hold ill will towards somebody. I bet there are people, there are some people in here that when they see that person coming down, they get out of the way and turn and walk so they don't have to have a conversation with them. They don't have to talk to them. They are still bitter in their heart about it, even if they think they're obeying Jesus being right. You know, I don't know that anybody has obeyed this perfectly. Let me read it one more time. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of it, pick up, be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. When I examine myself based on that passage of scripture, I fail. And so you know what we do. When we fail and we recognize our sin, we turn to Christ in repentance. Jesus has given us a small meal to remember how he has forgiven us, and that's called communion. And here is where we turn. We turn to Jesus Christ when we realize we have sinned. If, if you didn't pick up a communion packet, it's a, it's a little packet that looks like this. It has a piece of bread and a cup in it. It's at every door. And uh, we had a visitor here last Sunday, and they said, do you do open communion? Anybody can take communion? Well, technically we don't. We ask that you are a baptized believer in Christ. You didn't have to be baptized here. We just ask that you had been baptized at some point, giving your life to Christ to participate in communion. But this is the bread that reminds us that on the cross, he absorbed all of our sin into his body. And then God poured out his wrath for sin everywhere we have failed onto Jesus. An eternity of hell onto Jesus in one moment. And we're reminded how he did forgive us. Would you remember that and participate in the bread? Jesus, I thank you that where I remain bitter and I'm having trouble forgiving, that you even forgive me and cover me with grace and give me the strength to change. Lord, help me. Would you take out your cup? This cup reminds us that Jesus' sacrifice poured out his blood as a new, a new covenant written in his blood that covers over all of our sins. So when God looks at us, he sees the perfection and guiltless body and blood of Christ covering us and declares us not guilty. This is how we are supposed to move to forgiveness. Would you participate in the cup? Lord, we thank you and praise you 
for the blood of the new covenant that says we can be adopted into your family, that we can be blessed with forgiveness, that we can live empowered by the Holy Spirit, seeking to be compassionate and kind, loving one another, forgiving just as you have forgiven us. Lord, help us to do that. Thank you for the grace where we have fallen short. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. To wrap up, I think the scripture teaches that if life is in danger, this is answering the question, what to do about abuse in marriage. If, if, if your life is really in danger, then the scripture teaches that would be a legitimate reason. After you have gone through all the other options of seeking restoration, seeking reconciliation, seeking change, seeking peace, after you have legitimately gone through the options, and I don't know how long that takes, you know, if for different people, they're going to be able to go longer. They're going to be able to seek that longer as long as they're in safety. They're going to seek counseling. They're going to get input from church. They're going to try to have the church speak into it. They're try to have counselors speak into it. I know one uh, couple that had come here for a little while. The husband was um, cheating on his spouse. And she forgave him. And then she forgave him. And they found out through that process that he was bipolar. And he started taking his medicine. And when he took his medicine, he never cheated on his wife again. And she just kept seeking that forgiveness and peace. She's a strong lady. But she explored all options. But I think the scripture says, in the case where life is in danger, and you've explored all options, you've moved to safety, explored all options, then that would be another legitimate reason in such circumstances to be set free from that marriage. That's hard. I'm gonna pray for us to meditate on these scriptures. And if you have more questions, please email us, please talk to staff. Um, we wanna try to help in the best way we can. If you are in a dangerous situation, please find a church member, a staff member, an elder, and let us use the resources that we have that get you out of that dangerous situation. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.